Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is uh, April 20th, 2022, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we, we have with you this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength, and we pray uh, as we open your word for wisdom. Father, we thank you for um, all that has happened uh, over the past week or so, where we gave thanks for the life of Jewel, who was a part of the founding of this church. We thank you for her life, and we celebrate, as we celebrated it yesterday, we are grateful for all the well wishes and memories that we have. So, Father, we pray um, again as we continue uh, for wisdom, as we focus our attention on Romans uh, chapter 11, as we begin. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so, um, so we're in Romans 11, and we're approaching chapter 1 today. Hopefully we can get through that, some of the thoughts there. And we just to note, um, any, anything we may have missed can also be found on the website, which is <clears throat> wordistruth.com. Uh, you could always get, I try to upload those things pretty immediately into the archives. Dwight does as well, as soon as he's able. And uh, we have basically everything that goes back, I believe, from 2000 to 2006 of what we've done. So there's a whole lot of information there. And that's wordistruth.com. <clears throat> so um, you should have notes. And you should know that we are in Romans 11 and verse 1. We uh, did a review of Romans 10 last week. We took our time. We talked about um, a lot of how that developed and what was the subject. But I think it is time to progress to this chapter, Romans 11 and 1. So here we are. Um, Stand by. Wait a minute. Let me get my notes together here. <clears throat> there we go. Okay. So, um, it reads, I ask then, God did reject his people. Did God, <laughs> God did, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant from Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. So this is um, Romans 11.1. 1. Chapter 11 continues from the previous chapter to discuss Israel's failures. I am glad to discuss this in detail, in the detail God provides, because so many have not settled the matter in their hearts today. God is busy working on his eternal purpose for the church, and instead of embracing our calling, many are starstruck. In Israel's glory. God has done something larger than Mount Sinai and quote what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory unquote. That's 2 Corinthians 3.10. While God is not finished with Israel yet, they are not his focus now. So we 
are called right in the middle of Israel's tenure, the dispensation that was Israel. And we're right in the middle of it. We God stopped Israel and started the church. He will complete the church and he will finish Israel. That's coming. And so as we think about it, Paul is dealing with the transition and trying to help people orient to this new dispensation that we're in. Uh, too many times people are looking back at Israel. You know, I, as we've gone through Romans, we've covered quite a few passages about Israel. And what we could think about it is, actually, you could, you could probably get the idea, wow, aren't we covering a lot of verses about Israel? Aren't, why is Paul taking us back to, to tell us about their failure so much? And, you know, as, as we have dealt with it in 8, and we're going to cover some of that, 8, 9, 10, and now we continue at 11. I think it sort of he eases up around 12, but chapter 12, that is. But um, for those three chapters, we are immersed in Israel. And I, I, you could wonder, and I did too, why is there so much focus on Israel when we're in the church age, right? And the, and the answer is because we need that focus. If you just stop and look around, look around and talk to other people, you find that they are immersed in Israel's, uh, what, what was their calling, what was their purpose. And, uh, you know, all they sort of neglect the things that have been given to us in this age, our purpose, who we are in Christ. Um, our destiny, all the things about us is sort of secondary to lessons and uh, anecdotes and, you know, stories that are, are just all about Israel. So it is appropriate that God does spend time helping us unravel the whole Israel dispensation and make sure that we our feet are on the right footing as we think about the church. So Paul continues in Romans 11 and obviously he's going to continue to deal with the same subject. As you know there are no chapter breaks in the original letters. It was just one letter. Uh, some, some of those who are helping us organize the Bible put these chapters in. So, But as you can see this chapter it continues on with the same thought. So we're going to get to that. Let's look at point number one in our notes. I ask then, did God reject his people? Now this is the whole emphasis of Israel. When the church was introduced, they said, foul, can't do that. Can't, you can't introduce uh, the church when Israel is the focus. They didn't like it. They rejected it, they uh, cried to God about it, and God has answered them, I would say, thoroughly in these chapters. So this is what Paul is addressing. So he's at this point where he says, did God reject his people? So the first thought is, we know the answer to this question. Absolutely not. Or, by no means. Well, if you want to read it in King James... God forbid. 
And that's, that is how we ought to see this. Like, don't even think about it. Away with the thought. May it never be, right? He would never do that. And later, when we get to Romans, a couple more verses in Romans, it tells us that no, no, God would not have, God did not, verse 2, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Now, God foreknew Israel. That was, Israel's a part of the plan. They are not a second thought. They have not failed. God didn't see Israel or call Israel so that they could fail. And as we always say, they will succeed. Israel will be a nation again. And this is not just a nation that is on the earth, a nation under God. That is how we have to see. I know a lot of Christians will talk about Israel and and they see what's going on over in the land of Israel today. And they say, oh, this is, a, this is a fulfilled prophecy. But what God has in mind for Israel, being a nation again, is under God. Now, if you go to the, uh, the, those who rule in Israel right now, they are not Christians. And we went to Israel, and I can tell you that firsthand. They are not Christians. So uh, this is coming in the future. Israel will be a nation under God, again, just like it was prophesied. So we know there's going to be success. God did for, he foreknew them just like he foreknew us. So it's very clear. Let's move on to point B. If we're keeping up with the context, um, and that's Romans 10.21, we should go back to 10.21 just to see what was the previous verse. It says this. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So that's the previous verse. Um, And now he begins with Israel's uh, thought. Because when God says, did God reject his people? Israel is saying, this. This is not Paul's thinking. He's thinking through Israel's thought that, hey, if you are electing the church, then that means God rejected Israel. That's not the case. That's not the case. Israel was put on hold, as we know. Israel is under discipline right now. Uh, This is a time when God has put Israel aside, and now he has started a new dispensation. And that happened with Pentecost. And that will go all the way until the church is called out. And then what will happen? (laughs) All Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, it will turn God. And this is all in chapter 11, which we will get to later, I'm sure. But it's coming. It's coming. So the context of 1021, well, it's about Israel being stubborn. So it seems that it was Israel who turned their back on God. So God, if you think about the question, did did God reject his people? The answer is no, absolutely not. He did not. And if we think about what happened as Israel was being stubborn, obstinate, faithless, unfaithful, I'd say Israel turned their backs on God. I'd say Israel rejected God, if anything. It's not the reverse. God held out his hand. He was patient. He was long-suffering. He, he did everything he could 
uh, to like he's like Christ says in Matthew twenty three. He says, "I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing." At the end of Matthew twenty three, he says that you were not willing. But that's God's attitude. He loves Israel. Of all that Israel did, I mean, they even crucified their Lord, their Messiah. And yet, God still remains faithful to them. So, uh, I'd say it's testimony to the God that we serve. I mean, if if Israel did all of that to him, openly defied him to his face, and he continues to uh, support them and and know that he will see the see through all of that obstinance and disobedience and sees them as uh, fulfilling his their mission and answering their call. I would say that's patience. I, if you ask me that question, did God reject his people or should he reject his people? <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but I would say, yeah, after all they've done. But that's me, right? That's human thinking. If you even ask Israel, if if somebody did all this, what would you do? And this is where we brought out Matthew chapter, I believe it was 21, where God gave the, the parable. Jesus gave the parable about the landowner and um, how... Uh, he he lent it, he rented out his vineyard to to these workers, and uh, when they he came to collect what was his, they rejected right. They rejected him. Here it's Matthew twenty one thirty three and following. So the first one he went he went, sent to collect they 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 beat him and killed, and then they sent more servants to collect and. They did the same thing. They treated him the same way and killed him. And then they said, well, lastly, I'll send my son. Sure, I'm sure they will listen to him. He's the heir. But that's what they said. He's the heir. Let's kill him. And what did they do? They killed him. So Christ turns to them. He says, so uh, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He's asking uh, the Pharisees that, you know, who are there. This is what they say. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. He will rent the vineyard to other tenants and who, who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. That's what they said. And this is more the way we think about things is like, well, you know, you fool me once, you fool me twice, but you're not going to fool me three times. Right? We, we feel like we have wisdom in this area. But in reality... God is more patient than all of that. And uh, the Pharisees even caught on. They said, oh, you're talking about us. You're talking, I see. You're trying to tell us how evil we are and what's going on. So anyway, that's, that's point B. We were, we were saying Israel turned their backs on God. But God is good. He's patient. And I'm so glad that we have these examples. If, if not, we would not know what limits his goodness would have. I mean, we may say we are good to a point, right? But we're not going to give until it hurts. We're not going to give even when 
sometimes it, it, it uh, will reveal our weakness. We give out of our abundance, but not like the widow who gave even when she didn't have, you know. That's, that's who God is. He gives of himself. He gave his only son. And we think about it that way. So, point C. This is the question Israel had and Paul is addressing, right? It was, did God reject his people? And Paul is trying to, re, you know, really give Israel some understanding about how all of this plays out, not only from Israel's perspective, but also God's. So when we, we have covered this question and questions like this, all the way from Romans chapters 8 through 11. And we'll just give a quick review of um, how Israel understood and asks these questions and rejects God's plan. And remember, the church is not just, oh, well, now we have, we had Israel, now we have the church. The church is God's program right now. This is what's going on. This is the dispensation we are in. Israel rejects this. So a couple things. Let's review. Um, the first point, there's a bunch of them here. Uh, we're going to go through them quickly. The first one is um, in Romans 8, and that's 31. But what gives rise to these questions is 29 and 30, which I will read. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now to note, we are not talking about national Israel here. We're talking about the church. And when, when he talks about he, the church is foreknown, predestined, chosen, all that, right, called, justified, all of that, is now. That's what's going on now. That's us. But Israel comes back and says in verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? God is for us. Who can be against us? Well, who can be against us? Well, Israel's against that. This is the whole point that he's getting ready to lay out for us. Israel is against us. Right? That's and why are they against us? Well, they're going to say, we were the call. God is the one working with us. He's not cast aside Israel. He's not rejecting Israel. So they're saying, if God is doing this, then we're against it. So that's verse 31. Point two is, who then is the one who condemns? <laughs> that's even more strong when we think about that. And that's verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Who is who then is the one who condemns? And and Paul's answer is no one. If anybody had a right to condemn us, it would be Christ. But he's the one who died for us. So obviously he's certainly for us. He's not going to condemn us if he sacrifices life for the church uh, and was raised to life and is at the right hand of God, is also interceding for us. He's not going to condemn us. Who, who tries to condemn us? Israel. But they, they can't. They can't. But this is their attitude. And then point number three is who shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
And this is 835 through 39. And that starts off with a thought that Israel will separate us from Christ and that they will be united, like God would continue working with them. They would like to put a, a, some division between us and Christ. Right, well, all that we read, we are conformed to the image of his son, we're foreknown, chosen, like all of that. They would say, no, 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 that's not. And when we think about these classic verses from 835 through 39, do we think that this is something that is in Israel's heart to do, to separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is no, we don't generally think that. And these verses are used by many just as reassurance, eternal security, all sorts of things. And they are. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But these verses really come from a different place. And that place is where, in Paul's mind, Israel has some angst against the church. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness of, or, or danger of sword? Now, all of these things, Israel was pressing hard on the church. They persecuted the church. Uh, there are enemies right now, in fact, says Romans 11, 28, 20, 27 and 28. There are enemies. But in reality, all of these things cannot stop uh, the church, right? cannot stop God's love for us and what our calling is. As it is written, for, for your sake we face, face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced neither death nor life. So even if we die, we die in the Lord, right? And he will, if we sleep, we are sleeping, the body sleeps, but the soul and the spirit go to be with Christ. So neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, I think everything should be covered in these verses, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. They are classic verses. And they do speak to uh, our security. Uh, the plan of the Father for us will succeed no matter what. And um, Satan can't stop us. Israel can't stop us. Even we can't stop our own destiny once we're in Christ. Point number four uh, takes us all the way to uh, Romans chapter 9. Has... Uh, the word of God failed. I mean, this thought, right, where it says, uh, this is uh, Romans 9, uh, 6. It is not as though God's word has failed. Now, see, so here it is. Why would Paul say that, uh, that God's word, even suggest that God's word could fail? Because that's something Israel had in their mind. Well, if all of that is true, that means that God's words failed because God said he would never, in the Old Testament, he said he would never abandon Israel. In fact, if you go to Jeremiah, you will see some declarations that say just that. It says, well, if you can count, look up in the sky and count 
the stars, and if you can number them, then will I cast away Israel for all they have done. And he says another way, uh, if you can look at the sand on the sand, if you can count the sands on the seashore, if you are able to do that, then will I also cast away Israel from me for all they have done. So those promises, are, I mean, really, that's pretty firm. God will never cast away his people, which he foreknew. Absolutely not. But that doesn't stop God from having a plan for the church. He does have a unique plan for the church. So that's 9-6. Paul is still thinking through with some of the things that Israel uh, brought and how Israel uh, said these things in their heart, and they probably voiced them verbally to the Apostle Paul as well. So this is why he's even able to address these things, uh, and we have it in writing before us. So then, in 9, he continues, in, verse, in point number 5 in our notes, descendants of Abraham, uh, if you're a descendant of Abraham, doesn't curry favor with God. That's uh, Romans 9, 7 through 11. Paul addresses this point. He says, uh, nor because they are descendants, uh, are, are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary. So first thing he said, uh, all who are descended from Israel are not Israel. So Israel, there's two things going on in 6 and 7. There's two things. One is, all who are descended from Israel are not really Israel. Why? Because there's a spiritual aspect to those who are true Israel. I mean, it, just having the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, are not what makes you Israel. God expects that you would believe in the Messiah to come. And this is where we have seen the failure of Israel in the first place. By them trying to put the cart before the horse, you know, uh, you know instead of you know, believing in the Messiah to come and having salvation, being born again, they expected that their adherence to the law and their diligence of trying to keep the law in the flesh would suffice, but it does not. It absolutely does not. And that was a problem. So that's nine six, where he says, all who are descended from Israel are not Israel. And then in nine seven, he brings out another point. Nor... And this nur means, well, also, there's another point to make. Because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children? Right? So, on the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So, now he goes down another path, which is to say that people who are descended from Israel, uh, God's sovereignty is at work in this, right? This is where God's sovereignty says who's a part of Israel. It's not just uh, anybody who's descended from Abraham. It is through Isaac. And who, how do, who made that choice? This is God who sovereignly said, it is in Isaac that your seed will be reckoned. It's not through um, any other of the attempts of Abraham through, uh, you know, where there was Ishmael. And remember, they Abraham couldn't have any children. So he said, well, I got this servant who is very faithful to me. His name is Eleazar. I'm going to just name him as the heir. God says, no, 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 no. 
that's not going to happen. That's that's not right. Uh, and then later, uh, they still didn't have any children, and they were getting old. So they said, well, let's try. This is Sarah's recommendation. Why don't I use uh, my servant here, and, and we'll have a, a, a child through him, and we'll just name him the heir. Well, that Abraham said, that sounds like a good idea to me, so let's do it. And so Ishmael was born, and they were hoping that Ishmael was the one, and then God had to step in and say, no, Abraham, Ishmael is not going to be the promised son. He's not going to be the heir. It is through Isaac. And they were like, well, what do you mean through Isaac? We don't have an Isaac. He says, well, this time next year you will. And this is, remember, we went through all this when we were in Romans chapter 9. But, yeah, it's God's sovereign choice. It is not your choice, Abraham. It is not your choice, Sarah. It's my choice, God said. And sure enough, we know the rest of the story. So it is through Isaac. And then he goes on further and he says uh, in verse 8, in other words, it is not the children of physical descent who are God's children. It is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. So the promise is through God's promise that Abraham would have a son and that uh, is seen through God's cho choosing of Abraham, God's choosing of Isaac, God's choosing of Jacob, as we con he continues to bring out that point. So for, for this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. And so that's exactly what we just talked about. And then verse 10, not only that, but Rebekah's children, and this goes down the next generation, were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. So again, it is not their choice, it is God's sovereign choice that Jacob would be uh, the heir, not Esau, right? Remember Jacob and Esau. So, so all of this we, we covered in Romans chapter 9. Why am I reminding you of it now in Romans chapter 11? Because Paul is bringing up uh, the whole reason for these chapters. And you know, if you, if you understand why Paul wrote the book, what, what he's, you know, grinding away at here, then it helps you understand what how these words actually fit on the page and in and, and the context and so forth. So that's why it's important for us to understand uh, how uh, Abraham, as I said in, in, in point five, the descendants of Abraham do not curry favor with God. And we just explained in more detail what that meant. Let's keep going. We got more to cover. Point six, Abraham encroached uh, I'm sorry, Israel <laughs> encroached on God's sovereignty. Now, this is serious. And this is uh, Romans 9, 13 and 4. It is very serious. Where God said, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Uh, what should we say uh, about this? 
Hold on. Hold on a sec. Stand by. Thought that was a bug. <laughs> I don't like bugs. Sorry. That has to stop the Bible study if there's a big bug in the room, but but thank God it's not. <clears throat> Back to the Bible study. <laughs> so Israel encroached on God's sovereignty. Now, this is to say, God, you don't have a right to, to say what uh, you want. You don't have the right to do what you want. That's that's pretty serious. That's a serious claim. First, to tell God, you don't have the right to elect a church. You have to stick with us. And for for them to for us to know that what God did in this age is called His the Father's eternal purpose that He hid from before time began, before creation of all things. And now he's revealing it. It's what he was aiming at the whole time for you to tell God that he doesn't have a right to do it is pretty serious. That That's bold uh, It's for Israel to make that. And so this is what we have. Jacob, I loved Esau. I hated God saying, Jacob's the one I'm choosing. It doesn't matter. What then shall we say in verse 14? Is God unjust? Not at all, right? So Paul's making the point that Israel is saying, if you elect a church, you're unjust. And, and no, that is not the case. It, it, it's God, it's, it's a very serious claim. Let's just put it that way. If we, Israel is treading on dangerous ground in point number seven, uh, verses 20 through 21. What does God finally answer back? He does answer their objection. And he uses Pharaoh to do it. Um, but then he says in 20, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is form say to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? And so Paul is weaving this story to show that Israel better watch out. They're on dangerous ground here. Yeah, that's Romans 9 is very clear about God's sovereignty. So then point eight, God will judge Israel just as he did in the past for their stubbornness. And that's 9.25 through 29. Uh, he will judge Israel and all of that. We have dealt with it in Romans 10 as well. But we saw that Israel was stubborn and uh, resisting, unbelieving, uh, unfaithful, just disobedient. And we saw that as we had to go back to these Old Testament passages and saw how God judged Israel. And there only a remnant was left. A terrible judgments in Israel's history. Where God allowed another nation to come over and take and, and conquer Israel. And uh, all the terrible things, the death, uh, the plundering of Israel that went on. And we saw this in some of the pages of the Old Testament where Paul referred us and reminded Israel that these things did happen. 
because of their unfaithfulness and their refusal to believe and trust in the Messiah. So, uh, so, is, so point nine in our notes, Israel's unbelief is generational. We even saw that to the point where they disregarded the spiritual and replaced it with the law. And they just refused. And that's 930 through 33. It just refused to allow uh, God to lead them into salvation when they were the ones who were supposed to be leading the Gentile nations into salvation. They refused to believe. And that's point um, 10, which is Israel's problem stem from their refusal to accept righteousness by faith. That is the biggest failure, uh, Israel, ex uh, did, that, that happened in Israel, is that they refused to accept righteousness by faith. They thought somehow uh, righteousness came by their observance of the law. Now, if you look at 10, 1 through 4, that's what you find. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. I can testify about them. They are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. There it is. Righteousness by faith. And so Israel refused that. And as a result, they, uh, they put the cart before the horse. And that's how um, that happened. So that's number, I think, where we're at, um, 11. They refuse to believe in the face of the Messiah, even today. But this was generational, a generational issue. Uh, and this is 10, 16 through 19. We covered all this very recent. So we're not going to go over it in great detail. But And then 12.12, um, 12, Israel tried to put the cart before the horse and could not serve God from the flesh. They couldn't. How could they be obedient when they never were regenerated, right? They were not born again, and yet they were trying to serve God from their flesh uh, and uh, try to keep the law, which was impossible. The law was there to show them that they needed salvation in the first place. Uh, they would not be able to keep it as a means of righteousness. So we have a lot of scriptures that deal with with that point. Um, and this is also given to us in Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 20 and 21. Here's a good example. As I, Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So Israel was stubborn. So here they would not put their trust in the Messiah. When the Messiah finally did come, they continued that thought. They not only did not believe in Christ, called him a demon, uh, said he was evil, and put him on the cross and crucified him. So all of this happened 
um, in the first century, and we have the history in the Gospels. They tried to put the cart before the horse. Many today are doing the very same thing. As, as instead of uh, focusing their attention on salvation and uh, how to be saved, uh, it's by faith alone. We don't put any works. Uh, this We can't because of the bad news that says that there's none righteous anyway, none who seek after God, none who do good. As, it, as a matter of fact, all is, are, is, uh, Romans 3, 9, are we any better? We Jews, that is. No, Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. Everybody has to come through the same door. There, is, there are no exceptions to this. So, let's move forward in our notes, point number two, by no means, which we already stated. I am an Israelite myself, Paul says, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. And so, um, by no means, point A, the very thing Israel earnestly sought after could have been gained by faith. And that's uh, Romans 10, 3, 3 through 4, which we already covered. They did not know the righteousness of God and, and sought to establish their own. How is that? By keeping the law. And therefore, they refused to submit to God's righteousness. And not only his righteousness, but his way of righteousness. I mean, this is was around. This is not just talking about their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ in the first century. What we're talking about is they're rejecting the way of receiving righteousness, which started way back at Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to his account, uh, righteousness. That's how you get righteousness. They looked away from that, from that whole way of believing according to the way Abraham did to trying to keep the law before God and show themselves as righteous. They, for, they forgot what happened to Abraham. They rejected what happened to Abraham. And that was the source of their failure. So, so that's what happened. Romans 10, 3 and 4, they rejected it. That's the problem they had. Point B Paul uses himself as an example. Now, he could have used any of the other apostles um, as well. They were all, and quote, justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And that's Romans uh, 3 and 24. If I go read that, um, all of them believed in Christ by faith and we're justified. Here it is, 324. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I mean, it doesn't, if we go to 322, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. So not only um, were the Jews called to be the priest nation to all the Gentile nations, they failed in that calling because they refused 
to be, to be righteous through faith. They refused themselves. They were supposed to go out and tell the Gentile nations how they can be righteous by just believing in Christ, who was to come. But they failed in that because they refused to do it themselves. How could they be the ones who are going out telling the message when they themselves haven't believed the message themselves? So uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of... Uh, uh, a crazy thought to think. I mean, if we're telling people to do something we haven't done, uh, how can we be any good at that? Certainly we're going to fail. So point, point C in our notes, Paul's background is Israel. That's what he's trying to let the, the, the people know. And those who uh, in Israel are having a problem with this. He is descended from Abraham, right? And this is a common boast of the Jews, right? Which was, uh, Abraham is our father, right? And this is, if you go to John 8.39, when they were having this big skirmish with Jesus, it was some rough things said in Romans chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 8. So 8.39 says, this is what they said. Abraham is our father, they answered. And Jesus says, well, if Abraham... If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. And there's a whole lot of other things. They were trying to kill him uh, at that point. Uh, at the end of this discourse in Romans 8, they picked up stones to kill him. And uh, Christ uh, slipped away from them at this point. But that's 859. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So um, <laughs> what you find here is Paul is letting them know, you know, I'm a descendant of Abraham, right? I'm Israel, and guess what? I believed, and I am righteous by faith. That's what he's saying. I, I'm an example of the fact that, no, God hasn't failed you. The very thing you were chasing after, which was to be have a righteous standing before God, is can be gained by faith. You could just believe in Christ and you receive the righteousness of God, just like Abraham did. And yet Israel uh, had diverted and... Uh, gotten into a place where they were trying to be justified by the law. So that's, so Paul is saying, that's my background. I'm an Israelite myself. Yeah, and I believed. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a good example. But I, he could have used the other apostles as well because they were Jews and they believed too. Point D, tribe of Benjamin. So Paul is saying, um, he's saying he's of a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. Now Benjamin was one of Joseph's uh, sons, and so, but you know, uh, Benjamin was one of Joseph's sons by Rachel, and I, you know, I didn't know this, but I was reading some commentary somewhere a long time ago. I haven't looked this up, but and I wasn't going to even say it, but. Um, there was some uh, priority in Israel. So to say I'm of the tribe of Benjamin is Benjamin was Jacob's 
son and Jacob really, this was a, a matter of a pride to say I'm from Benjamin because remember Benjamin was one of those preferred, uh, remember Jacob had wanted Rachel and uh, he couldn't get Rachel because uh, Leah was older and Laban kind of tricked him and instead of getting, he worked seven years and he thought he was going to get Rachel, but he got Leah. And then, so he ha he did end up marrying Leah and then, uh, and he had sons and, and from, and daughters from both Leah and her servant. But then after seven years, he did finally get Rachel, but Rachel was barren and did not have any children for some time, but eventually uh, they had two sons, uh, Joseph and uh, Benjamin. But he, that's who he really wanted. The first, he wanted Rachel. And so somehow in Jewish history, uh, they were preferred. All the other tribes were, were legitimate tribes of Israel as well. But for some reason, it was preferred. I remember reading that years ago. But uh, it, it's not necessarily the point, but sometimes it's a boast, right? It's, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, you know. And that's what Paul is saying there. When he, he gives his resume in Philippians, he talks about that as well, of the tribe of Benjamin. So he had the correct lineage, right, to be Israel, and God provided salvation, righteousness, and justification for him. The very thing Israel wanted. They could have it. In fact, they could have it now. And so it's not an issue. God has not failed you. The very thing you want, here it is, right here. But Israel, even though God holds out grace, they refuse it. So point E, Paul will continue to fill in the details of how Israel could have attained righteousness by faith and not the law. So if you look, we, we've covered this in Romans 3.9. We talked about it. Let's look at it since we have a little time. And then we'll have a little bit of time for some Q&A if, if there is. Uh, so Romans 3.9, as I read to you before, what should we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. So there is no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God, all have turned away. All of that is the bad news. The bad news cannot be overcome by you trying to uh, have works of the law. So then we have Romans three nineteen and 20, which says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. In other words, everybody is in a position of death, spiritual death and condemnation. And law says so. So therefore, verse 20, no one will be, de be declared righteous in God's sight by the works or doing what the law says, works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious 
of sin. So we have this verse because of the very fact that the Jews were trying to become righteous by the works of the law. So Paul is making this point. No, that's not possible. You can't be righteous by the very instrument that God used to condemn you. You can't be righteous by that. And But that's what the Jews thought. That's why we have, apart from the law, verse 21, the righteousness of God has been made known. So that would be an insult to the Jew because that was the very thing they thought they could be righteous. And, they, and, and now you're saying that we don't need the law and we can become righteous? Absolutely. It's by faith and it is, a, it is through Jesus Christ. It is by grace that we're saved. It's not of ourselves, not by any works that we do. It is simply believing. And it doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, both of us need salvation. So all of that is, is a part of um, Israel's failure. So it's, they refuse to believe. So point F, we're closing in and we're ready for some Q&A in a minute. If there are questions, or no, we're not saying you must have questions, but just to note, point F, Paul, uh, Paul further understands that he is no longer a Jew. Even though he's saying this, I myself, a tribe of, I'm a descendant of Abraham, tribe of Benjamin. I'm a, he's basically saying, yeah, that's my culture. right? But really, Paul understands that he's in the church. And he's the one that has told us all this about the church in the first place. But he gives his lineage as a Jew as to really encourage unbelieving Israel to believe in Christ now. He's trying to tell them, believe. You, you, it, God's hand is still out, stretched out to you. And uh, they ought to believe. Now, Israel as a nation, as we said right now, is not going... Uh, you know, God is working with the church. We, we said that, but but still, they can be saved. There's no, nothing stopping them from believing in Christ, just like any Gentile. So, but Paul knows that once a person believes in Christ in this age, uh, and I'll just turn to the scriptures that say what it is to be in Christ. We're not Jews in Christ uh, Galatians three twenty eight says, in Christ, "In Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." So, of all those designations that we have in the world, those are some of them. Paul is letting us know that, remember, in Christ, none of those designations can be leveled against us because we are something else, something other. We are not of this world. All of those designations are of people or, uh, you know, slave or free, male or female. That's all a part of this world. But once we're in Christ, none of those designations are important for us anymore. We are something else. We are a church. We are the body of Christ now. So that's a new role for us. And then look at this. If you belong to Christ, 
then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, if you go back to 16, the promises were spoken. This is Galatians 3.16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Uh, the scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So the seed is Christ, right? So when you get down to Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So you are Abraham's seed, you belong to Christ, then you are Christ. You are the body of Christ. You are Christ. You are Abraham's seed. What we mean seed, well, we already said we're not talking about many people. We're talking about one person, Christ. So, wow, that's that's a thought. Take some time to unpack that for yourself. So and so that's what we're saying. And then Colossians 3:11 also says. The same thing, right? It's more. Here, here, well, it's in Christ. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all, right? So it, it is about Christ. It is all those designations are human des things that you can find in humanity, but they are not designations that are in Christ. They're, like there is no slaves or free men in Christ. There's no Jews or Gentile in Christ. There's no barbarian, uh, which is uh, a Gentile, but you know, somebody who is very uncouth or Scythian, you know, these are things, none of that matters. <laughs> so the Greeks really thought they were cultured and then they looked down on other cultures that weren't so cultured as them but even still none of that matters in, when you're in Christ so and and then so what what is it in Christ what's happening in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 which is a classic verse as well therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come so we're a new creation something never before seen. The old, it has gone. The new is here. It's not just when you get to heaven, we can start right now what God has created in us by the baptism of the Spirit. If we've been baptized into one body, all of us who are in Christ, then we could begin to understand these designations, this new designation for ourselves, and all that is involved in us being in Christ. And, and there's a lot for us to consider. So we're going to quit with this part of, um, and we're going to transition to uh, if there are some questions out there in your mind, if there's anything you want to talk about. The floor is open. Yeah, I have one, but I'm honest, I can't really, you know, read the Bible, whatever. I know in Galatians chapter 2, it speaks about the righteousness of God, and all, I think it's like the end of it, that the righteousness of God could be, could be contained from the Lord, and Christ died for 
for nothing. Yeah. So that's a, to me that's that's been contrast to Romans also yeah. about about the law. Yes, it is. Uh, in fact, it's I wouldn't say contrast. I would say it's it corroborates what we've been talking about. Well, you, I, I, I meant to say that, right? You know, yeah. Right? I don't so it was. I mean, it's like it's like It is. you know. Absolutely. I don't. I read it just to be sure. Um, so it says okay. in, Ver, in Galatians two twenty one. I believe you're talking about. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So that's, that is a good verse for us to consider along with what we've just been talking about. Yeah, if, if, um, if we can be righteous through keeping the law or our, our attempts at keeping the law, then we don't need Christ. God didn't have to send his only begotten son to be the savior of the world because we could be righteous or be acceptable and justified before God uh, without his dying on the cross for our sins and all of that. We wouldn't have needed any of that if God would accept our our attempts at keeping the law, but, but absolutely not. This verse is saying uh, Christ died for nothing, meaning absolutely not. That's not the case. And righteousness certainly cannot be gained through keeping the law. Uh, it, it is an insult to the work of Christ on our behalf. Yeah, so good verse uh, to think about along those lines, Dave. Thanks, thanks for, for sharing that. Other thoughts out there? Yeah, I see similar language in uh, Galatians 5 as well when when uh, Paul is talking about the freedom we have gained in Christ um, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And he uh, goes on to say, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again <laughs> to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obliged obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Yes, yeah. So so those are good verses as well to consider when, you know, we thinking, we're thinking about the, you know, the whole thing that happened to the Galatians in the beginning was they were doing fine until these Judaizers came uh, and started telling them, well, you know, I know I know, Paul told you, you know, that you were saved by grace, but did he tell you about being circumcised? And being circumcised is important and, and so forth. And, and they started trying to convert them to Judaism. So if, you know, the Jews, in these, these Jews, a lot of them, the Judaizers, there's questions as to whether they were actually believers or not. But what they were trying to do was to get people to observe the Mosaic Law. It is pretty much what you see in Acts chapter 15 when uh, they had that council. And um, 
And this is what they were saying here in Acts 51. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So what, and then if you keep reading down all the way to verse 5, and it says, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the Mosaic, the law of Moses. So what we're seeing here is uh, there were some Jews who were saved, but they refused to allow this new dispensation to dawn. They refused to, re to, to dispense with the idea that we are no longer under the Mosaic law and that um, they thought, okay, well, there's no new dispensation. There's no church. We reject that. So we're not giving up on our, um, our called status. So what they thought was, okay, so in the Old Testament, if you wanted to be a Jew or a convert to Judaism, you could do that. But guess what you had to do? You had to be circumcised and you had to commit to keeping the Mosaic law. Just So, so this is, in their minds, okay, well, if you're going to invite Gentiles into our body, this is what we're going to require of them. This is our the way we think about it. And, of course, you see the discussion went a different way when Peter stood up and, and addressed them. But this is what they were thinking. They were saying, well, if you're going to be in our body, then you're going to have to be circumcised and you're going to have to keep the Mosaic law. And that's what you see in Galatians. That's exactly what happened. They, they were there and they were trying to impose on the Galatians uh, oh, yeah, you're saved? Well, then you need to do these things as well. And uh, that was, Paul was really trying to encourage them. What are you doing? Why are, You're going back to the law. Don't you know? We're in a new dispensation. We're not under the law, the Mosaic law. And so, well, even when you were under the Mosaic law, none of those things had to do with salvation, right, you would be in the covenant people, all that, right? You were supposed to be saved. And then if it was the time of Israel, yes, you were supposed to be circumcised to become a proselyte or a convert to Judaism. But you didn't have to be a convert to Judaism in the Old Testament. It was an option, right? But they're saying for people, for the Jews, you could see their thinking and how uh, far they had drifted off course from grace, it was devastating. So, yeah, also in Galatians 5, good verses to to think about. Other thoughts out there? All right. I think it's a wrap. It's quiet. Okay, so we're going to just close, and um, we'll continue. It just gets more interesting in Romans 11 as we go. Let's bow our heads. Uh, thank you, Father. Thank you for those who have joined our study, and we are glad that we could uh, open your word and see what your thoughts are. We thank you as you have given us the spirit of truth and 
allowed us to be able to come to an understanding of what these words actually mean. So we thank you, uh, Father. We pray for the church, wherever they may be, whatever country they are in. We're praying for them, that we will all be of one mind, one purpose, uh, that we will herald your message wherever we may be. So we thank you for your word that has been preserved for us, that we now have your thoughts in writing. All this we ask and for for the sake of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.